Welcome to the Medicaid Me Podcast. We have extended our app into a media platform that highlights who we are. With informative guests and a focus on industry breakthroughs, our goal is to educate and bring awareness to the many present and future medical evolutionary breakthroughs in our world. Stay tuned. Hey guys, welcome back to the Medicaid Me Podcast. Hope you guys have enjoyed the first couple episodes with Misty Murray and George uh, telling us some really, really crazy stories and uh, also why uh, cannabis has been helping, well for Misty, her daughter, and uh, why cannabis uh, has been helping George and how George got off of Percocets, eight years of Percocets uh, by uh, using cannabis and, and now cannabis concentrates. Uh, tonight, our guest, uh, we were pretty excited for this one, and uh, I kept screwing up the time zones, unfortunately. <laughs> I thought uh, she was actually on the East Coast, and uh, she wasn't, So, uh, but that's okay. We solved it uh, once I got the hint that, yes, Colorado is two hours behind Philadelphia. <laughs> so, um, uh, Her name is Michelle Ross, and she uh, actually uh, is the CEO and founder of Impact network um you may have seen their uh instagram handle uh but it's not impact network it's impact cannabis uh we will probably get into that uh to so we can let people know why and uh but um she uh has been and she's a neurologist as well so um I would, I guess, I would like to say, Doctor Michelle Ross, and um, she's joining us today to uh, tell us what she's been doing in the cannabis industry, and what Impact uh, Network actually is, and uh, how she got into neurology. So, without further ado, please welcome Doctor Michelle Ross. Hey there. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. And I just want to make a correction because this is another confusing thing out there. Um, so I have actually a PhD in neuroscience. So okay. I'm a neuroscientist, not an MD or neurologist. So um, I don't do things like uh, give medical marijuana cards because I'm not a practicing MD. So okay. uh, a little bit of a difference and it's a nuance, but uh, um, it's no. It's hard because they both sound the same, right? Neurology and neuroscience. So a lot of people just call me a neurologist. And, you know, if it's if it's not something that's, like, posted online, if it's just in, like, passing, I'll let, just let people go rather than, like, have to educate them on what the difference is. But yeah. since we're, we're on a radio show, I just wanted to say I'm a neuroscientist. No, I really do appreciate it. No, I, I absolutely love when I am corrected because I cannot stand when I give out false facts or if I try to preface it by saying um, I'm not a scientist myself but what I read in this article and then I say that or something but I, I do appreciate you correcting me and uh, perhaps some of our listeners actually didn't know the difference as well um, I, I you know what I guess I just assumed they were just one and the same and I appreciate it so thank you for educating me no <laughs> I'm like I'm getting in all professor mode here. I'm like, let me break out the red pen. <laughs> no, no, that's no, that's great because I mean, that's that's another thing. You know, I want to make sure that we present on this show is as facts as we can. You know, and and to so if uh, you know if I have somebody on here that I'm calling a, a neuroscience a neurologist, and and you're not a neurologist, please, yeah, def definitely correct me because I don't want to be like, yeah, you know, she can totally operate on your brain. You know, she, well, I can't operate on brains, but I can Ooh. operate only on rodent brains. Ah. 
lot of brain surgeries. I'm just not <laughs> legally allowed to do them on humans, except for possibly when the zombie apocalypse comes. Um, yes. If you have a choice between a veterinarian and a scientist or and there's no doctors around, you're probably going to let me do whatever you need to do to live. So. <laughs> Oh man, that's gonna be crazy! But thank God we have people like you around. <laughs> we're, we're a little, we're, we're a little far from that, unless uh, some crazy stuff happens with Korea, North Korea, and all that. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> we won't get into politics on this one, right? No, thank you. Oh my goodness, no. We we try to stay far, far away from politics. We might mention the current administration when it comes to uh, the uh, you know going back to the 1930s, 40s, 50s mentality of uh, reefer madness. Uh, but other than that, we don't get in uh, too deep of politics. But uh, yes, uh, we definitely uh, heads up, people, heads up for Guam anyways. And I really hope that that, that does not happen. I hope this is all just posturing. Um, and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> so, um, you are the CEO and founder of, uh, impact network, um, which was another thing that people were getting confused of. They were calling it impact cannabis versus impact network. Um, could you actually just tell tell everybody what actually is impact network? Sure. Um, so we're a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we were founded in Los Angeles and we moved it to Denver, Colorado in 2015. Um, and IMPACT actually stands for Improving Marijuana Policy and Accelerating Cannabinoid Therapeutics uh, for Women Worldwide. That's a mouthful. So that's sort of how we do it, but not why. Um, so we're really focused on um, doing clinical research uh, that validates um, all this anecdotal evidence that we're getting um, on cannabis being helpful for breast cancer, for pelvic pain, for anxiety, for depression, for lupus, for fibromyalgia, for a billion things. Um, but if you look in the scientific literature, if you look at a, you do a PubMed search, it's really hard to find a lot of research in humans. You can find research in rodents. You can find some stuff where they grew some cells and dumped some THC or CBD on it. But we really just don't have the publications out there to take to your senator, to take to your president, to take um, to your doctor, to take to your mom, to take to people that are not that are still unconvinced that cannabis is a real medicine that is safe and is not only safe but is also effective for your condition and as effective or more effective than the treatments that are currently on the market. And so we're really just lending um, science um, to really make sure that uh, women worldwide have access to this medicine. Um, we believe that it's as effective as pharmaceuticals. We've helped uh, thousands of women and men um, get off of um, pharmaceutical drugs and onto cannabis. Um, and our goal, like our, our vision is really to see a world where uh, people aren't disabled anymore. They can get back to work. They can play with their kids. They can have a happy and healthy and fulfilling life uh, rather than just, you know, getting through the day, like just making it, making it through like, okay, how many oxycodons did I have to pop today to like be able to get up and do my laundry? You know, um, that's the kind of life I used to live. And that's the kind of life a lot of people that we serve, or, you know, we're living until somebody told them about cannabis. We helped guide them through that journey um, to where they're healthy and happy and productive. Yeah, no, that is actually, that's, re that's really amazing. Um, because, you know, that's actually one of the things I actually just learned recently with, with mice. I actually had to ask another scientist as to why, I was like, why, why aren't you doing human trials? And they're like, well, we are doing some where we can. She goes, uh, you know, and I was like, well, do you use mice because of the fact that it's, you know, closer genome? And she goes, actually, yeah, you're right. That's one of the closest, closer genome. That's a very similar, you know, structure. That we, that's why. And she goes, also, though, 
She goes, generally, you won't get a human that's going to want to volunteer to get their spine severed to see if a particular cannabinoid is actually going to help promote bone growth over the next year of their recovery just so they could be laid up. So she goes, you know, we can do things like that. And, you know, so I was like, oh, that does make sense, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's... You know- Oh, I want to add in here, um, you know, I used to do a lot of rodent work and it's not work that is like for the week, <laughs> stomach it. No, you know, no. I used to have a guillotine and I used to have to, um, to be able to study the effects of drug addiction in the brain before um, I would have to chop off heads like out of live animals and crack off in the skulls and get the brains. And that's really like gruesome and it doesn't really... Sometimes you do the research and you're like, wow, did animal deaths result in a new treatment many getting to market? Did it really help improve, you know, humanity? And for me, um, the answer was usually no at the end of the day. Like we oh. found some great stuff, but yeah. it never got translated to humans. So for me, being able to work in clinical research right now um, is amazing because we have things that are safe. Like right now, cannabis is an o- like basically over the counter in a lot of states, you know, when, when we have recreational use. Um, and it's so easy to be able to study, okay, um, in these patients, you know, let's record how this is working. Let's scan their brains. Let's scan their bone density. Um, there's a lot of things that we can measure in a live human. We don't have to chop their head off, thankfully. Um, yes. Uh, it is a, it's a very different thing. Like, trust me, um, you know, uh, chopping heads off in an underground laboratory is a, is a, is a sort of a nasty lifestyle. And so, um, you know, I meet a lot of recovering scientists that are much more fulfilled doing the work that they do in cannabis. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things I'm like, you know, is we have to do more, you know, clinical trials on, on, on humans. I mean, that, that's just me as a person. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would love to see more of that. And I, I wish it wasn't such a, you know, such a pushback, especially with something like this. I mean, we're just studying the effects of, of, of a plant and what the known cannabinoids that we found uh, are and what they're doing, you know, hopefully to the brain because and, and, and to the body itself and to as to why we even have an endocannabinoid system in the first place. Um, is now, I mean, what have you always been interested in? I guess the brain is this something you always wanted to do as a child was was be a, a neuroscientist. You know what? Um, apparently, I was a real weirdo as a kid. Um, so I learned how to read really early. Uh, my mom um, was like a stay-at-home mom, so she taught me how to read. And um, we didn't have a lot of books at our house. And so one of the only books like I ended up reading over and over and over again was the Merck's Manual, um, which is like the guide that tells you all the medications and all the medical conditions. It's sort of like a huge, like, thousand-page textbook for doctors and, like, healthcare professionals. So here I was, like, this little kid, like, literally in kindergarten. People are reading, like, Clifford the Red Dog. I'm reading about, like, how to treat, like, concussion and, like, like STDs and stuff. Like, I was the inappropriate kid. You're like, do you have this disease? Everyone's like, what are you talking about? Uh, so um, I was always interested in medicine. Um, I wanted to be a doctor. And um, the funny thing is I had this um, diary from, like, um, Lisa Frank. It was like it had a unicorn on, on the cover and stuff. And in the, the the second page of it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what's your crush? What's your favorite color? And apparently under um, what do you want to be when you grow up? When I was in second grade, I wrote, I want to be a brain scientist and I want to be <laughs> on TV. Um, those <laughs> nice. don't even normally fit in the same sentence, but uh, here we are. No, they could. Nowadays, you can actually do live brain surgeries on TV. 
Yep. Uh, and I actually know now um, a lot of neurologists and neuroscientists that are hosting TV shows. And then, you know, uh, to be sort of funny, I mean, I was the, the first reality um, uh, television uh, female scientist in the world. So um, I started Big Brother um, several years ago. Um, so I have that credit on there. So it was just funny. It's like if you put a, put a goal in front of me, I'm like, cool, check that box. I did it. <laughs> So second grade Michelle uh, hit all her goals. That's amazing. No, that's awesome because not a lot of people do hit their goals. <laughs> I uh, I don't actually uh, remember. I'm pretty sure at one point in time I wanted to be an astronaut. I totally wanted to be an astronaut. I'm pretty sure at one point in time. I'm pretty sure I wanted <laughs> to be smoking a... Smoking up cannabis, you might be. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or if I uh, dabbled a little bit in the, uh, the the old fungus realm, definitely will be a uh, astronaut. I'll tell you that. Walk on the moon. <laughs> you know what? Um, it's funny because there's a woman, um, her her practice is she's called the Canonaut. And she's actually, uh, she lives in my city. And so she helps people um, connect uh, spiritually too um, and like through meditation and everything else paired with cannabis. So it's sort of interesting that that exists. There's a Canonaut now. <laughs> no, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, uh, I myself personally uh like to pair it with uh sensory deprivation floats okay have you ever done a sensory deprivation float you know i haven't um oh I my god I you're a neuroscientist what's happening here okay well i <laughs> also just... run a non-profit no so i know okay. realize, uh, yeah I've, I've been on a zero salary uh, for several years oh. um putting this together and running research so there's a lot of things i'd love to try and we're like okay uh, no you know, i know i pricey without health insurance it so. sure it sure can um well i'll tell you what if you ever come to philadelphia please let me know and i will schedule you a free float okay at, that's not at, you've got a deal <laughs> at, at flotation philly if you ever come you know back this way i just like to do those those things myself but honestly using cannabis but prior to the float uh makes my float even uh, more relaxing and uh, allows me to go even deeper Plus, I do a lot of different breathing techniques. Uh, or not a lot. I just do a, a couple different breathing techniques while I'm in there. And that kind of actually helps the whole uh, hour and a half that you're floating in there. Yeah, and you, you've hit on something really interesting, um, which is where we see um, cannabis sort of enhancing um, techniques people already use to control anxiety or depression or um, other health issues, um, it's it's an amazing enhancer. A lot of times people think you have to do cannabis or something else. Like you can't mix the two. And in fact, um, a lot of research is suggesting, you know, it's like cannabis and yoga, better. Cannabis and massage, better. Mm -hmm. um, so we really haven't found too many things where cannabis was bad to do. Um, I would say maybe like there's probably some kind of a form of like really excessive exercise that it might, might not be good for your heart. But like besides that, like... Most of the things that are um, enhancing mental health, it seems to pair really, really well with. Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, I do, I do, not all the time. I don't do intense workouts, but I, I enjoy using my kettlebells. Uh, I go on some long weighted walks and stuff like that, and um, you know, try to do uh, you know physical training within that walk as well. I used to do a lot of those type of things, but one of the things that I noticed. Uh, when if I use canvas prior, um, something that some a strain that is actually very energy uh, that kind of just gives me a very uplifting, energetic, like let's go, let's get this day going right now. All right, I'm 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 ready to rock and roll. I'm super happy. I'm I'm bouncy. I'm let's go. 
And yeah, and it, it's very interesting. Like um, myself, right? Um, so I was never one that was like, okay, I'll I'll consume and then go exercise or anything. I have a fibromyalgia, so like. Um, I went from, like, a wheelchair to, like, walking in without a cane and stuff. So I was like, oh, I'm doing pretty good. And you just, like, you're so grateful for getting there that you don't even think you're like, wait, what if I could, like, match the performance that I had before I had this illness? And mm-hmm. um, before I had fibromyalgia and had all these health problems, um, I was running, like, half marathons. Like, I, I had a book called Train Your Brain to Get Thin. I worked on with uh, – a lot of uh, fitness industry people uh, developing supplements and things like that. Um, so it was sort of sad to be like, well, I can walk around. I'm so grateful, but like, darn it. I wish I could run or I wish I could hike. I wish I could do all these awesome things, especially being in Colorado where everyone skis, snowboards, mm-hmm. picks up mountains. Like that's what all anyone does. And I'm like, oh, I'm tired just walking to the front door. Oh, man. Um, and it was, I had a really eye opening experience, um, a couple months ago. So I was invited, uh, to the Ganja Goddess retreat, um, which started out in California. Um, and it was interesting. They had like literally it's all women and, uh, like they have as much cannabis as, as you want to consume there. Um, so everything from dick dabs and edibles and vapes, all the stuff. Um, and I had never just allowed myself for like to get, like high, like really like just like no responsibilities. Right. So I'm like in the middle of nowhere. I think I was like in, um, like wherever Coachella is or something like in the middle of the desert somewhere, there's no phones, there's nothing like no internet. Like I'm just there in the moment. So I'm like, okay, I'll go smoke and like enjoy myself and relax. And, uh, there was a hiking trip on day two. And I, this has very much been like the, the time where I've been most high in my life. And like, I'm telling you, like I can't even walk like for more than five minutes without being tired and like hurting and aching. And I need to go like, you know, do an Epsom salt bath. I was able to hike up. It was Joshua tree. There you go. I was able to hike up Joshua tree, like not out of breath, not in pain, um, be able to do something that I definitely would have thought I could do like without cannabis. Like I would have been like, Oh, I can't do this. I'm so tired. Like I, was just impressing myself and I was enjoying it and I like felt great. I was able to like not only get up there, but like talk to people while I was doing it instead of being so focused on like, Oh, this hurts. And again, I can get through this. I can do this. Like I was just there like a normal person. And uh, the next day I was just like, Oh my goodness, with fibromyalgia, you're in pain. And the next day, like if you push yourself like five seconds over your limit, like you pay for it the next day. Like that's how that works. It's like, it's really hard to train up and increase your endurance because you're so scared of that backlash where I, I exercised for two minutes too long or walked for 10 minutes too long. Like I'm done for like the next five days. I have a major setback. Um, so the next day I'm thinking, okay, I just hiked up a mountain. I'm going to be like done for like for the next five days. I'm not in any pain. Next day I'm like still waiting. I'm like not in any pain. Like I just realized that I need to use a lot more cannabis and it's like, I can work out. I can build muscle strength. I can push back some of those boundaries that were very limiting for fibromyalgia. And prior to that, I was only using like enough medicine to like control my symptoms, but not enough medicine to restore my full lifestyle. And so that was a turning point for me because even though I'm counseling patients, I still just never realized the full potential to like, not only, you know, uh, improve your health, but really take it to the next level. So it's like performance, right? Um, and even like per- performance for me is not the same as performance for say like a football player, but performance for me was being able to go outside and do the things that I used to do before I was sick. And so, um, that was just an amazing thing, um, to see myself and then to all, 
to start seeing that in um, our community and, and, and being able to encourage people, like try it, like go outside your comfort zone a little bit, you know, spend a Saturday and Sunday and see what you can do because you might shock yourself and get yourself out of this mindset where you're like, I'm a sick patient. I'm a, I'm a victim. Like, you know, this is my story and you know, my, my ending has already been written. Like, you know, you don't even know what you're capable of. So, so try it and, and see what happens. Yeah, that's exactly what I tell people. You know, I again with with what I'm doing, I'm trying to get people together on the weekends and get them outside. And it's it's kind of funny how it's just how the human mind works. It's it's such a finicky, odd machine and computer up there upstairs for everyone. Everybody is just so different, you know, and it's it's like I, I want to get people out out there, so I'll 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 try to get people out there with like a flyer I'll make, and then some people who know me and know what the things that I do for working out, they'll be like, oh well, I'd love to, man, but I can't, you know, crawl down the bear, you know, the, the art museum stairs, or I can't carry you, man, and do th- these things, and I can't do. It. I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, I'm sorry if you guys got the wrong impression. I have to keep telling, like, no. You tell me what you want to do. You want to go for a bike ride? We'll go for a bike ride. You want to go for a two-mile walk? We'll go for a two-mile walk. Just because I can walk longer than you guys, it has nothing to do. I, the, the thing for me is getting you out, getting you mm-hmm. out of the house, coming out into a group of people, and, and maybe even getting strangers involved too, You know, which is great because you know, a lot of us, not everybody meets each other. Hey, can I bring my friends? You haven't met them? Yeah, sure, cool. Bring them along. That's awesome. And then hopefully the group just starts to grow every weekend and then little by little you know because i i i, I kind of psychologically mess with these people uh in a nice way not a mean <laughs> way but you know uh you know we'll 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 do we'll start them off small and then they'll they'll start asking about like how many miles have we gone then i you know so then i go like okay you want to know how many miles we've gone well i'm gonna push you today so I'll I'll lie to them a little bit about how many miles and they're like oh okay cool and then we'll keep going and then we get back to the car and they're like wow man you know so what did we make total and be like you want to know the total we did <laughs> we did eight miles today they were like wait a minute eight miles how did we do eight miles I'm like because I lied to you you see and you feel fine right and they're like yeah so I'm like there you go it's because you psychologically have it in your head if I say eight miles you're like wow that's a long distance and to some people it is you know but. Again, I like to tailor it to whatever you're capable of doing. Anybody. I don't I don't care if it's one mile or you just want to, like I said, go for a bike ride or something. Or go, we'll go play disc golf or you know, anything like that. An activity that gets you outside and off the couch. And if you can, again, if you have an ailment that obviously really prevents you from doing things like that. Um, you know, I, I would still love to try to plan something that would be suitable to your needs. You know, even if you're bound to a wheelchair, we can still get outside and do something active together. You know what I mean? Um, I, th- I think it's fantastic I, too for people with limited abilities. There's also like water aerobics, things like that. Like there's yeah. so many things that you can do um, with limited capabilities. And it's the one thing I say with cannabis, it's like people think sometimes like if you take cannabis, like it's going to cure everything. It's going to treat everything. And it really is like cannabis has to be part of a lifestyle change. You know, even if that lifestyle changes, I'm going to walk five minutes a day um, because it's when you are really sick, it takes a while to sort of undo some of the, the damage pharmaceuticals has done to you. Um, some of, you know, the, just being in chronic pain and the changes that causes in your brain and your body. And so if you throw 
cannabis on, sometimes it can be just like putting a Band-Aid over a bullet wound, you know? Like, yeah. okay, you're expecting miracles, but this is what it can do. But, like, you're going to have to go this extra step. You're going to have to get rid of inflammatory foods in your diet. You're going to have to get out and do some exercise. Like, fibromyalgia responds really well when you take cannabis and you move because there's, like, issues with, like, um, lactic acid getting stored in muscles or like not enough oxygen getting there. So it's like cannabis can enable you to feel better and remove some of your pain, but like you got to put in the work too. Um, and then it's going to be more effective than you just moving by yourself or you just using cannabis. So, um, definitely any kind of, um, exercise is, is, is key to seeing a lot of improvement in patients, um, using cannabis. And you as a neuroscientist probably know that uh, exercise has been proven to actually help people uh, get become un- undepressed, that helps them through depression. And again, it's it's the individual is – everybody's different. So just because you go and run 10 miles doesn't necessarily mean it's going to help your depre- depression. But it might help Mike over there who do- is depressed and now he loves running because running makes him feel so good and he's not depressed anymore. So when he goes and runs five miles – Oh my God, I can get rid of all my pills. Oh, this is amazing. It, but it's not for everybody. Just like I try to make the argument with people about cannabis is not the cure all people. Stop stop arguing about that there's no side effects. Stop arguing about that it, it, it oh no, it's, it's the absolute medicine. Or stop even arguing about that it's addictive. You have, everybody needs to stop it because there's, there's three sides to a coin and you, of everything and you have to look at all three sides because there's that thin little edge that people forget about. And yeah. hey, I'm pro-cannabis. I love it. I, I definitely know the, a lot of the effects on it because I've been using it since I was 17 years old. So it's just now in my last decade that I've been getting into learning about the different strains, learning about the actual cannabinoids, and now in the past two years, learning about the terpenes and the importance about terpenes. Um, and so you're obviously using cannabis and exercise to help you uh, through fibro. And uh, again, people like with cancers can use cannabis to get them through their cancer as well as going on a sh- strict ketogenic diet would help them as well. A lot of people, not all cancers. And so basically we have, I don't know if you know about cancers at all, but you know, some of them, I guess a lot of them apparently like to feed off of sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I didn't and know I, that. Most, you know? most diseases actually are fueled by sugar. Really? Because, uh, okay. I mean, sugar causes inflammation and inflammation is the root of all disease. Well, Every single one from Alzheimer's on down. Epilepsy too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, epilepsy isn't well, caused so much by um, inflammation. There are some genetic mutations. Oh, no. I, I'm sorry. I was just saying that if somebody were to eat like sugar and they have epilepsy, you know, th- that could trigger a seizure. Because I know, you know, yeah. t- I, I don't know if you know uh, the story of um, Tuffy's fight, young Tatiana. She suffers from L- L- Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. Um, and she just turned 10, which is obviously uh, simply amazing because most children uh, with LGS usually um, – pass away by nine usually from a drop seizure of yeah. some sort uh but she's been using cannabis for the past three years now and it hurt she it it is literally every time i see some videos of her i i, I cry because wa- watching what she was like for years and then watching her actually learning and doing things and and understanding what mom and dad are saying to her even though she still can't really communicate verbally is 
oh my god it's like oh i got honked at today on my bike that i don't uh, what am i complaining about <laughs> what am i complaining about ever like this kid just learned how to feed herself that's amazing and that might not sound like a big deal to you but that's a huge deal for you an know, L- for an lgs kid and i want to say this is that this might be a little controversial view um but we do know that you know certain forms of epilepsy are inherited and you know you can see mm-hmm. some of um, abnormal brain activity in very very young children right we have cases of um, you know babies being treated with cbd oil um, in hospitals. Um, and so I think sometimes, um, you know, we really have this whole like debate about like cannabis and children. And I really think that in children that have either a genetic background or other risks for epilepsy, for autism, that we should be treating them as early as possible. Um, because it's really like cannabis can only do so much. CBD can only do so much, right? Like it's really hard to reverse brain damage once it happens. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you're saying like, she's not vocal, right? Like imagine if she could have had an intervention even earlier, right? And then she would have had more skills. So like, that's the hope that I have is that no parent has to be like, Oh man, you know, if I only had known about this earlier. So one thing is being able to get um, that information out to all doctors, not just cannabis doctors, but every single doctor. Um, epilepsy in Colorado is really strange um, because not all doctors know about CBD. And you would think that we're this rec state, we're medical, everyone would know. I actually take um, a lot of lifts. Um, I had seizures myself um, from a, a different condition. I don't have epilepsy, but um, for a while I couldn't drive. So I would take lifts all the time and just talk to people about uh, cannabis. Um, you know, sort of funny, like I would not even say that I was a scientist. Like I would pretend like I'm just like like a regular Joe listening to the radio. I'm like, did you hear about the thing with the doctor and epilepsy and these kids are getting saved by CBD? And they're like, what? Tell me more. My daughter has CBD, uh, not has CBD, has epilepsy. And you're like, you've never heard of this and you live in Denver? <laughs> like, oh no. Um, and I would find out about 75% of people that I talked to with direct family members with epilepsy had no idea of CBD. They're like, well, my doctor would have told me yeah, like, we nope. tried everything. My doctor would have told me. I was like, nope, your doctor is probably working with, you know, with some kind of medical center that has a policy. Do not discuss or, you know, like change the subject or whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah, because there's no money to be made in cannabis for that doctor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't have canaceutical reps yet or anything, no, um, which is no. not even something that I think is is the right approach anyways. Um, but it's really hard um, when you've been trained in something. There's some doctors, right? that there's like three types of doctors, right? There's doctors that will only do something if the money comes their way, right? Like the bribery mm-hmm. model, which is like right. the pharmaceutical rep model. Then you have doctors that like, no matter what, like if it helps the patient, like these are like those young millennial doctors that are like, whatever it is, like if it's gonna help them, I'll adopt it. And like they're early adopters basically. Right. They'll do anything that helps. And there's the other ones that are like, you know, like another 5% that are like, I need the data, this and that. If it really, really, really works, I'll think about it, right? And so um, we spend a lot of time sometimes trying to convince the the old guard that's never going to change their ways, like, you know, um, to adopt cannabis. And it's just like, we got to realize that some doctors are still practicing things that we've learned like 40 years ago are bad for patients. Like there's literally some drugs on the market that hurt patients. They're using those because that's what they were trained on when they went to medical school or they did the residency. And they're like, they were like an old dog that doesn't learn new tricks. So then expecting those doctors to be like, cool, I'll add CBD or I'll add cannabis to the mix is like, it's, it's, ridiculous like it's not gonna happen you can't convince those people so we really um 
are hopeful that it's the younger population that that is adopting things like uh, you know medical programs that track uh, you know um, prescription use and or cannabis use or anything right the digitally savvy like um, and very hopeful generation that really sees that their role as a doctor is really to transform um, you know humanity through better health um, we're just not going to get that population and in fact like dr. Bierman who is um, who is the head of, uh, I can't remember which uh, society, it's one of the society of uh, the, the cannabis doctors, um, but he basically, he told me at a conference one year, he was just like, oh, you want to see um, more doctors adopt this? You're going to have to wait for all the old doctors to die, basically. He's yeah. like, but you can't convince them, you can't change your mind. He was an old doctor, pretty much. He's like, you know, there's a couple of us lone wolves out there, but the rest of the doctors think we're crazy. Like, and it's just funny. You talk to younger doctors and they're like, yeah, cannabis. I know about it. I may not support it. Um, but at least, you know, they're open to having that discussion, but the old doctors, they're like, hell no, stop. I don't, I'm not even listening to this. Shut up. Well, Um, I think the problem is honestly with, with people, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, how, uh, how somebody was brought up. So you got to think of these older doctors, right? They were actually brought up in an era where it's been bad and it destroys your brain and it will turn your brain to ash and, or, you know, the scrambled eggs, it's going to make you, it makes, uh, even back to the crazy propaganda that they first put out uh, about it. It makes African-American men go wild and rape. We are white women. Like, what? Oh, no, we have to stop this devil lettuce, you know? So it's like you still have those guys, even in office now. Mm-hmm. Again, we won't yeah. get political, but, you know, it's it's. I think it's like they have been, it's that sort of information and education has been ingrained in, in their mind for so long that I think, there's probably a part of them that are too afraid to accept it, that don't want to believe it because all these years, then they're going to have to accept that they've been lied to by so many people. Yeah. Well, um, I have uh, some things to, to share too. So um, one of the things I'm really um, you know excited about is being able to take the, what data we already have or what data we're going to capture and use that for policy change or exactly. um, changing the perception of doctors. For example, in Colorado, there was two studies, um, which most people don't know about. Um, one study was looking at the percentage of, like, already, like, the older doctors, right? Like, you're a primary care doctor. Do you give out medical marijuana recommendations? Would you let your patient, you know, use cannabis? Like, you know, just their perceptions on it. And it was actually a pretty low proportion in Colorado, which was, like, approving of cannabis as medicine. Most of them didn't think that cannabis was medicine, like, at all. And, like, very, very few had ever written a recommendation. So we actually have, like, a dearth of uh, doctors that give um, uh, cards out here, which is sort of sad because everyone thinks we're the pot state. Um, But then you were like, okay, well, we legalized it recreationally. So the medical students that are going through, um, you know, getting their MD right now, you would think that they'd be open to cannabis. I mean, they see it everywhere, right? Um, And then they surveyed them, like, pretty much the same questions that they gave the older doctors, like, five years ago. And they found out that only 5% more were approving of cannabis as medicine. Like, most of them thought it was crap, that the, all the research was phony. Mm. Oh, they would not support it. And it's terrifying, but you got to remember, it's what background you grew up in. So yeah. what is your typical doctor? They're a rich kid. <laughs> like, you know, their parents were doctors, and then they go to med school, which costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Like, the average Joe really has a hard time affording medical school, so... We actually in Colorado have, I think, a high, um, you know, percentage of, you know, it's like white conservative people that grew up in a rich, you know, um, family um, that often had doctors um, in the family. And so 
they're passing on some of their conservative views about cannabis not being a real medicine onto their children that even though they're seeing, you know, uh, cannabis everywhere, their medical school is not uh, reinforcing the facts that that cannabis is medicine. Um, The government really isn't. So we just have now we're still training doctors to not believe cannabis is medicine. Like, I think it's about 50 percent of of doctors in our sorry students in medical school right now as a according to a survey that was published last year, don't believe that cannabis is medicine at all. That's it, ab- it's terrifying. It's terrifying. It is because it's it, now, it, it, I mean, honestly, I've been, I've been saying this for a couple of years now, actually on the podcast that it, it's just, it's no longer, you know, not being educated. It's not like you back, how, how back in the day, you know what I mean? When you, like? when, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like if somebody told me, if we didn't have the internet and we didn't have all the technologies at our fingertips and these things, then maybe I would be in part of that. Oh, wow. Does it, it's just, it's just really what, where people are getting their information from. And now it just kind of comes down to blatant, you know, some of it's greed because they know, again, there's, there's more money to be made in pharmaceuticals because the pharmaceutical industry has been around a lot longer. Not, not that the uh, pharmaceutical industry should be completely con- like condemned or whatever, but I, I've been saying that I think the drug war, the stupid, pointless drug war, should be sort of turned back around onto the pharmaceutical industry and just be like, what is going on over here? And you know, regulating what these doctors are doling out, and and just you know, again, a lot of them profiting off of their patients. Again, not everybody is doing that, but it's it's a shame because we obviously a clear opiate epidemic. Mm-hmm. And you know we're seeing that where we're hearing cases and we're, t- we're and, and there's no studies. I don't th- I don't know of any studies going on right now. There could be maybe in Colorado or California, but there are no studies that I know right now for opiate addiction. Yeah, and we're, we're trying to fund one right now with exact, the hospital. Yeah, here, so it's a hard thing because people want to do it. Like literally, we have everyone on board, but everyone's like, I can't do it because we'll get our federal funds taken from us. We can't fund you because we'll get our federal funds taken away. So it's this dance where. Every single agency involved is for it, but we're like, we're supposed to raise the money, what, from the people that need the help? Like, where are we supposed to get these funds from for the research? So it's, it's sort of crazy. So we're on board, and because I'm an addiction neuroscientist, like, I've been very passionate about this. I actually lost my brother to Oxycontin and alcohol Oof. in college. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear um, that. So, it, you know, this is something where I was just like, if we can introduce this and get people off of opiates, um, whether they're using them recreationally or medicinally, like, it's, it's better for humankind, so... Uh, we've been trying to push for it. But I have some good news, actually. So somebody just messaged me, um, and they said that the FDA just came out and said CBD has been shown to be beneficial, and they're asking for comments um, about uh, all those have information on or experience with the use of CBD as a healing substance. <laughs> so basically the federal government's asking for positive stories of CBD use by September 13th. So that's I, I almost would sound like fake news, but apparently this is real because the UN is trying to figure out how to recategorize or reschedule CBD. So if the UN uh, reschedules CBD and takes it off the list, and that means that the US would be legally allowed to take it off the list too. So this is actually huge news. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, is that only for CBD? Only CBD, yeah. Which is ridiculous so, because I mean. I, I know. So it's so but annoying it's because people just don't right understand. It's a step in the right direction. I right? get it, but it's just it does. I, I'm so sick of people not understanding. Like, where do you think CBD comes from? It doesn't pop out of the air. 
It comes yeah, from a whole plant. So keep the whole yeah. plant because the whole plant is so important. <laughs> I know. No, trust me. Like, but then when you have like people in states where they don't have medical marijuana, like Texas, for example, the only thing that's legal is CBD for um, pediatric epilepsy. Like it's so restrictive. Right. And so like, even if you have another condition, you don't have access to CBD. And Texas is a huge state that I care about because I went to school in Dallas um, and to have patients there be scared to use CBD and like go to jail or like, you know, it's like it, it's not the best thing you can do like to just legalize CBD, but we can't do research on it. Like I'm, I'm stuck right now because CBD is federally illegal. So I can't get federal funding for this study. The hospital is sure. scared to do this research study. Like if CBD was taken off the schedule, we could do that. And then we could nudge and, and move the, the needle towards doing these other cannabinoids. Like, for me, it doesn't make sense just to legalize CBD, especially even for epilepsy. We've had patients do better with CBD and THCA, which is the raw version of THC, right? Right. Like there's a ton of cannabinoids in the plant that are, are psychoactive or not psychoactive. It doesn't matter. Like autism is treated by THC too. Like in it, you're going to tell me that it's better for an autistic child to harm themselves and their caretakers than to, to take some THC and be calm and be sociable and, you know, improve their condition. No, it's crazy. Like there's no reason to demonize any of the cannabinoids in this plant. But I also hate when people tell me like, well, why are you pushing for a bill that only legalizes CBD? Like I want to see CBD off the schedule. What I don't want to see is GW Pharma or some other pharmaceutical company makes it a schedule three. And the only way you can get CBD in this country is if you order it as a pharmaceutical through your doctor. That's not what I want to see. I want to see it available at OTC. And if you need really high concentrations of it, like say like, you know, like 2000 milligrams a day or something crazy because you have a very specific illness. Like it's like schizophrenia uses higher doses of it. Um, you know, maybe that can go through the care of a doctor, but that your average person that needs, um, pain relief that needs, that does respond to it for epilepsy. I'm like, I just want to see it available to more people because yes, it does, doesn't work as well as, you know, CBD plus THC plus these other cannabinoids. But for some people, they're able to mix terpenes in that do make it effective. Like, I just feel like we're all missing that boost, um, in the endocannabinoid system. And CBD works at serotonin receptors. It works to boost our own natural endocannabinoids. It does a lot of things. Um, so I think it's a healthy thing that if every single person in this country had access to it and they weren't afraid to get it, they weren't afraid to lose their jobs or kids. Like there's a lot of fear about just this one single cannabinoid, which we know is like safer than Tylenol. So, you know, I think it's a step in the right direction that the FDA is having these conversations. Like literally two, like a couple days ago, the DEA, you know, was like, Oh, it's a schedule one thing. And we're going to come after people selling it. And you know, it's no, they're not. They're just. No, they say that. They say that, John. Um, They're not going to do that. But I mean, it's you say like it. It doesn't come without like consequences when a major federal agency says that, and you're talking to a high wealth donor that could fund a study, and they're like, "Yeah, just said they're going to come after you, so bye." Like these are things that happen. Yeah, people don't realize it. Like it's scare tactics, and yes, if you have to have a brain, you're going to be scared, but. If you're talking about doing a fundraiser, if you're talking about doing educational conferences, and you're talking to mainstream sponsors, which we are, um, it's they're scared by like the smallest thing. And I'm sorry, like the DEA saying, like you know, scaring people is is an effective way. Or even if the perception is that these agencies are not cool with this, and 
they have to manage their risks. They can't lose their other, they can't lose their clients. They can't lose their revenue. So if the, the DEA or other agencies say anything, even like if it's not true, even if it's backed by like no actual action, it still causes harm to our industry, to patients, to research, to nonprofits. Um, so these aren't, unfortunately, I wish that they, we could just pretend like these are stupid tweets by like Donald Trump, but um, those things have a lot more impact, um, even if they're not true. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, I know, because people just automatically get fear in their brain, and that and that's all it takes. Um, you know, and that's a shame, because it's funny, because on my end, people cry about, you know, people are boasting so much about the benefits of, of CBD, and I'm like, yeah, no, that's great. CBD's great, too, but, you know, again, somebody like Tuffy, guess what she needs? And people don't think about this. She needs high amounts of THC. Oh, yeah. Right, because you know what? CBD levels will actually, certain CBD levels will induce a seizure for her yeah. LGS. And that's yeah. just because that that's just toughy. It might not do the same thing for the, another child that has LGS, but for toughy, she absolutely needs to have THC. And I'm not talking, I don't, I'm not talking THCA, like THC, like the Delta THC. She needs to have that. That's actually what helps her. Um, and, and a lot, another thing that people don't get to is that you can have ratios and that's the importance of being able to separate the, the, the cannabinoids because you can actually make specific mixtures or, you know, the, the, the right tincture for somebody. Okay. I, you know, we don't want to give you the psychoactive effect, but you still need the psychoactive ingredient in here. However, we can get rid of that by a one-to-one ratio, a two-to-one ratio, three-to-one ratio. We're going to keep those levels low, but we need to have that in there because this cannabinoid works, again, synergistically with all the others. And that's, I mean, you you probably obviously know the, the importance of studying the cannabis, you know, each cannabinoids. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of some of our research here um, at Impact Network. So, um, you know, being a neuroscientist, I know how to study brains, right? I've done fMRI work, EEG work, and um, we have some EEG hardware. Um, we're going to be able to announce a partnership. Um, and the goal is to really um, play with different uh, ratios of cannabinoids, especially cannabinoids that are um, really commercially available yet, right? Like we have these ones that are just like CBC and CBG. Like what do they do to brain waves? What do they do to epilepsy? What do they do to ADHD? What do they do to schizophrenia? What do they do to brains that have traumatic brain injury? Uh, Parkinson's, right? They all have effects on cognitive um, function. You can, you can study them pretty fast, and then you can see, okay, well, what is actually better for the ADHD brain, right? Is it THC? Is it CBD? Is it a ratio? Is it this new cannabinoid that no one's ever really worked with? THCA, the raw cannabinoid, right, works for um, several um, you know, uh, types of epilepsy, right? And we don't really have any data on it. Like we see Donnie, uh, Dr. Uh, Bonnie Goldstein, right? Um, I first learned about THCA procedures um, attending a lecture she gave, right? But there's like really just anecdotal evidence. Oh, like in this one patient, I used this and it helped. Like we don't have, you know, um, you know, 100 patients at this dose and this is what it does to their brain waves and this is how it improves their condition. Like that's what we need to have yep. to be able to fight some of these crappy like CBD only laws. Again, we, you start there, but you're like, actually, these 100 patients did better when they had THC, you know, so mm-hmm. the data go past this law or stop restricting, you know, this THC percentage. So that's like the laws that, that piss me off, like from an advocacy level. Like I actually 
do a lot of work um, behind the scenes providing letters for different laws, like either to pass good laws or to defend against crappy laws that are going to take away patients' rights. Um, there was a law in Delaware where uh, they were trying to cap the potency of THC products available um, to pediatric patients. And you're like, well, you're a pediatric cancer patient, and they're going to restrict how much THC this pediatric cancer patient or epilepsy uh, patient can have because it might cause brain damage. Like or that was that was like literally the reasoning. You're mm, like, well, mm. they're going to die without it. So what are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah. Also, they're taking but, like benefits versus risk. And two, this is actually the risks here. Like they're overstated. They have an immature endocannabinoid system. And a lot of people don't realize this. Like children could actually tolerate higher levels of THC than adults because the receptors um, and the downstream pathways are not the same. <laughs> like they, they change as you grow older. Um, and so they become like more sensitive to lower doses of, of THC. And so you can give a child a lot more THC and they won't be as high. Like if you gave the same dose to an adult, they'd be high, so high. Um, but a, you know, a younger child, they um, absorb it a lot differently. So, yeah. um, and you try to talk science science with senators and, and other politicians. It's very bad. Like I had this one conversation where somebody brought me in and they're like, you need to teach this guy what percentages are. And I was like, like percentage of THC, like, no, just straight up, like what a percentage is. And I was like, isn't that something people were taught like in middle school? <laughs> like, I'm like, really? Like you couldn't get anyone else. Well, he doesn't believe us. So we're thinking maybe he'll listen to a scientist. And yeah, like, right. So these are the people making oh the God. laws that are impacting patients. And you're like, this is, is just nuts. This is nuts. You have no right legislating or playing doctor. Like, that's what's happening. Like, oh, you can use it for this condition, but not that. Oh, this is the legal This is the legal product. We'll allow, yeah. we'll allow this, you know, vape, but not this topical. We'll allow this or that. I'm like, these people have no right. No right to do that. It literally should be just like every other FDA type of drug where like they approved it for sleep apnea so we can use it for anything else we want right um it should be available for off-label at the discretion of a doctor like that's it like it shouldn't be like you know there's some old senator that doesn't even know basic science that's that's telling you what you can use it for but is is growing a plant and picking it out of the ground and hanging it up for it to dry and then you dries out and you grab your scissors and you, you trim it all up and it looks all beautiful and it's nice and cured and then you either make you know or you you smoke it is that really a drug <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean like to me that's not to me it's you're you're smoking mm-hmm. a plant i mean i i guess are are people or is that what it's considered a drug because it has a psychoactive effect on you um, I don't think a, a substance actually has to have a psychoactive uh, component to be considered a drug. And so um, I formulated nutraceuticals uh, worldwide. And so um, I found some really interesting things in there that you can also bring into this cannabis conversation. For example, um, there were certain formulations that I would make for the United States that would be illegal in Canada. And these are not things like cannabis related. These are things like vitamin D over a certain dose is a drug in Canada, oh right? God. Vitamin D, which we can pop, like literally you can buy bottles and bottles of that stuff and pop it. And like literally there was a really low dosage over which they considered it a drug. And it's very interesting because vitamin D and CBD are very similar, I think, in the fact that it can do, um, it can benefit a lot of the same, like, you know, symptoms and processes. Like vitamin D is involved in like over a hundred different physiological mechanisms. Like sometimes if you have somebody who can't lose weight or somebody who has depression or anxiety, all you need to do is give them vitamin D. They don't need Prozac. Like they just needed vitamin D and they feel better. Um, same way with like 
B12, right? Like there's a lot of people that are in pain or depressed and all they need is some B vitamins, right? But um, there's other countries that acknowledge the important role of vitamins and actually have made their vitamins prescription drugs. Um, crazy. So, you know, it's, it's, no one's going to get high off of vitamin D. No one's going to get high off of vitamin C. So just how you, like, really it's just how you regulate it in your, your, your it's, country, right? Yeah, it's all like, about the I label. Think, yeah. So um, I do think it's hilarious saying like, you know, like this would be like, you know what? We heard that that tomato sauce is good for preventing certain types of cancer because it's got lots of lycopene. Now tomato is a drug. So you're going to have to pay a lot of money for that tomato sauce, you know, and you can't grow it at home or else we're going to rip them out. Yeah. Quick, quiet. Don't let anybody know that uh, there's myrcene in mangoes and there's also myrcene in cannabis. Oh, no. Don't let anybody know that. Yeah. Or um, beta-caryophyllin, right, um, is something that's found in tons of herbs. Um, it's found in black pepper. Um, you can't eat enough black pepper spice to really get the same effect as oh, the, you do cannabis. Um, you said uh, the caro I, I probably say it wrong. Carophyllin, you said? Yeah, beta-caryophyllin, yeah. So, so there's, people you. say it like four different ways. So. Chocolate-covered <laughs> uh, strawberries is very heavy in that. is BCP. That, that's an easy way to say it. Um, but um, that is a terpene that actually activates your CB2 receptors. So most terpenes don't act on either cannabinoid receptors, but you can actually use um, that uh, single terpene to have, um, you know, effects on the brain and the uh, immune system because that's where your CB2 receptors are, right? And you can get um, things that are rich in beta-caryophyllin, like um, – uh, there's copaiba oil. There's certain um, there's certain extracts that you can find. Um, they're not pharmaceutical grade. Um, they're more like essential oils, but you can find them. It's a grass approved uh, dietary supplement, and, and it activates your CB2 receptors. Pepper as well, right? Well, yeah, that's the component of black pepper. But it was just saying, like sprinkling black pepper in your food is not going to give you anywhere near the dose you need to be, you know, clinically oh, relevant. Oh, sure, right? yeah, yeah, no. Some people think that they're like, oh, but I will say this, um, and this is the funny thing I tell people that are like cannabis haters or endocannabinoid system haters. Um, I met this one lady. Um, she was so upset when I told her that actually um, everyone consumes. Uh, phytocannabinoids every single day um, uh, because things like those terpenes, right, that activate your cannabinoid receptors are in these spices like garlic. Yep. Like most spices have terpenes back in the cannabinoid system. So, um, so everyone takes around 200 milligrams of phytocannabinoids daily, like everyone. And um, I told this woman that one time and she goes, well, how do I take out my cannabinoid system because I don't want that evil junk in my body? Oh, my God. <laughs> Whoa! Like, but like you, you're really not gonna have a good time at life. Yeah, was um, she like, was she religious? Was she a religious woman? Um, I don't. She just yeah. seemed very anti cannabis. I mean, it's just like I was like, did, nobody inserted this cannabis, you know, cannabinoid receptors in your body against your will. Like every single human, like so many animals, like plants have it. Uh, it's insane to me, you know. Mm. Exactly. That's what I was saying. With mercy, and you gotta it, with mangoes anyway, especially with dried mangoes, you gotta be careful with that. If you're if you're smoking, honestly, a lot of different strains of cannabis uh, yeah. or have pretty good mercine profiles in them. Um, and it's, it's the one that makes people sleepy too. Oh, 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 so it's boy. one of those things where you really have to know your terpene profiles. To get yeah. The so me, I mean, I learned the, I learned the hard way. Uh, and it took some, uh, uh, a unknowing experiment basically on myself. Mm-hmm. And then it, it dawned on me. Oh my God. Every time I use cannabis and I eat a bunch of dried mangoes, 
I want to pass out by, you know, two hours later. Like, I can't, I can barely even keep my eyes open. And I was like, it's the mercy, damn you. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Um, so I have a friend um, who develops uh, CBD only formulas just so that they can ship it, like, you know, nationwide sure. and stuff. And so um, he worked in pharmaceuticals and then started developing these formulas. And he basically, um, you know, I'm not 100% sold, but, you know, there are plenty of people that use these products and love them. I just, I, I know what THC and the other cannabinoids do for me, so I'm like, I have that available to me, so I'm going to use them. But um, these products, basically, they can mimic a lot of the effects of strains with THC, basically by doing the combinations of terpenes. So sometimes it's the terpenes that actually give, um, you know, those feelings, like anxiety relief, you know, oh, nice. linalool. Like, it may I not actually be the yep. THC in there, because THC can enhance anxiety for some people. And that's so, the same one that's in lavender, right? Linalool? Yep, yep. Um, and you know, it's sort of funny because these terpenes have the funniest names too. So they're really hard for some people to say, right. You're like, you're looking for humulene and like all these things, but everyone has like a specific terpene that like really works with them. Like we all have these personality types. Like some of us are really anxious. Some of us can't sleep. Some of us, like we all have some kind of weird thing wrong with us. Right. And I feel like there's a strain out there or like there's a terpene that like calls our name and there's like there's different smells that are attached to terpenes too. Like beta caryophyllin is like spicy smelling, right? Oh yeah, it um, is. It smells pepper, like pepper. Right? Yeah. And you can smell that too. And even CBD tinctures that are rich in it. Right. Oh wow. Cool. Yeah. There's a lot of CBD. Like if you're looking for something that helps with autoimmune, uh, the beta caryophyllin is really, really helpful for that. So if you're going to take a CBD product, you're looking for what terpenes they have in them. You're going to want one that has that like enriched in it. It's going to taste spicy, like may not like it. Put in some Indian food or something, like mix it around with that. So somebody with uh, Crohn's disease could benefit from that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, And, um, you know, there's other ones, right? It's like for some people, they want to get to sleep. So they're going to look for things with mercy. And like, there are people that have real, real issues with sleep. Um, they get up, you know, in the night, like they're, you know, it, for some people that may not be good, you don't want to be like, well, I went to sleep and I didn't wake up on time because I couldn't get up. Oh, know? I would love that. I, can, I, I, that's my issue. I have a, I mean, I don't consider that I have a sleep disorder, but I mean, I never sleep straight through the night ever, 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 no matter some of the things that I've tried. I'm like, oh, maybe it's just because I'm, you know, maybe I had coffee at this time of day, so I won't have coffee at that time of day, you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, and think you know try that for a bit that doesn't work you know try you know hey okay let's not drink for you know this amount of time and see what happens at like no drop of alcohol and you know there was even nights that i actually slept worse because of that it was just like wow what the hell's going on here so i don't really know what it is i try not to eat things right before bed um yeah it's it's just a interesting thing and i have not yet found something that has uh helped me out yet well, we're working on some sleep research with some doctors, so uh, we may be able to help you very soon. Um, so I have some practical tips. They may have been things that you tried before. Um, you may not have. Um, okay. So one, um, anxiety um, may or may not be something you deal with, but a lot of people that have sleep problems, um, basically they take their anxiety from the day and it transfers over to nighttime. So if you can reduce anxiety during the day, you actually sleep better. Um, and so that's one of those things that CBD is really good for. So if you take CBD during the day, you have less anxiety and then you're, you're being able to have more restful sleep. 
I don't know if I experience anxiety. I, I don't know if I yeah. could ever tell you so that yeah, I've ever. So that's not you. Yeah. So now all this advice will apply to everyone, right? That's why yeah. this is medicine. Um, the other thing is um, people don't realize there's a U-shaped curve um, with uh, THC and sleep, right? So a lot of people think, okay, if I take an edible or if I smoke a whole bunch of weed before I go to sleep, I'm going to sleep better. Um, and so it's actually microdosing THC that's much better for sleep. Um, yeah, so. Okay. All the literature that's out there, and there hasn't been a ton, but we also have anecdotal evidence. Um, five milligrams and lower is the ideal dose um, for okay. THC for sleep. Okay. Um, so if you go above that, and I mean, like, that's a tiny dose. Like, in California, people are telling me, like, you know, oh, I took a 50 milligram edible, and then I went to sleep. You're like, well, your sleep was disrupted horribly by that dose, you know. It does interfere with REM sleep, you know, at higher doses. Um, so if you want to get to sleep and stay asleep, it's actually these tinier doses. And it looks like actually like 2.5, maybe uh, the magical dose there, um, along with some uh, special terpenes. So most people are not going for 2.5 milligrams before they go to sleep. Like they're going for much higher, 10 milligrams, 20 milligrams. Well, I mean, I mean, honestly, I don't need to get – I don't need to – feel high because if i'm going to bed i'm like why that's a waste of a high i'm just gonna go to sleep you know why would i want to be high and then be, all right i'm going to bed bye i'm high you know I, I would rather have something that i could microdose but that's a, a nice sort of formula that i could actually try with like you were saying with like a mixture maybe possibly of terpenes and some other um cannabinoids that'd be awesome because it'd be nice to be able to sleep more than four hours mm-hmm so, um, so there are some products out there. I don't, you know, it's sort of funny. It's hard to talk like, you know, with different groups because you're like, oh, well, there's this product in Colorado. There's this product in California. And you're like, wait, what's available in the East Coast? You know, like you don't even know what brands are out there. But there, um, there is a uh, trend towards microdosing in uh, California. So there's brands like Kiva. Um, they come out with like things like mints. Like a lot of these companies have like mint size ones. So it's like 2.5 milligrams or um, Dixie, which I think is in a lot of states, has come out with like five milligrams THC, five milligrams CBD ones, which is again a little bit higher on the microdosing um, dosage, but um, because it has CBD in there, it's lasting longer and it's sort of like lowering, sort of lowering the dosage because it's in your system for longer. Sure, yeah. Wow, okay. uh, you know, there's there's things to play with, and that's the exciting part. Um, I really hope that the East Coast um, brings more and more products out there um, or that the companies that are launching out there. I know, like, Pennsylvania is a really exciting place right now. I know that they're doing some research out there, Thomas Jefferson, and then you have, like, all these different, like, cultivation and dispensary centers that got approved. So when is all that getting online? Uh, that should start, I believe, in January. But there's not, there's like gonna be nothing on the shelves, which is so odd. It's just so weird that they're like, okay, you're approved, and oh, this has to be off the the ground in January. Okay, well, nothing's grown yet, so why? Yeah, it's like seed to sales, right? Yeah. It's like so you're gonna have a dispensary, and somebody's gonna come walking in, and there's gonna be nothing in there for them to see at uh, all, or touch, or look at, or learn about, because I think. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of the people uh, that are running the dispensaries are just in it because they wanted to get into this explosive cannabis industry, and I found a way that I could probably make another quick buck. I don't care about what I'm selling, but you know, I'm not saying they're all like that, but there's going to be a lot of these dispensaries that are not educated on what they're getting, what's going on, where it's coming from. If the growers are that reputable, I'm I'm very on the fence on our program. So. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I spoke at um – Philly Tech Week, I think it was. Um, the Greenhouse Ventures had put on. I think yeah. 
there with them. Yeah. So I was on, I was on the medical cannabis panel last year. Um, and so it was interesting because that was like the law had just been passed. So I think the legislator that built, did the law spoke on there. So I got to learn a little bit about that, but it was just funny. The audience was straight up like white wall street males. Like it was hilarious. <laughs> and you're like, okay, there was literally like four women at the conference. Yeah. And it was funny. I was like, are you guys interested in launching your own dispensaries or this? No, we're lawyers. We're like, okay. So, um, you know, I'm interested to see what comes out and shakes out and potential collaborations. Like right now we don't have any, um, collaborators in Pennsylvania. Um, do you have any collaborators so have in Maine? Go. Sorry. Do you have any collaborators in Maine? We do. Nice. Yeah. That's my so home there, state. There's a lot of people <laughs> up there. Yeah, that's my home state where uh, I'm making a trip back up there pretty soon. I'm going to be talking to some people at dispensaries, going to go to a concentrate lab, going to go to a testing lab, and um, hopefully talk to a few cannabis doctors up there as well. So I'm going to try to pack all that in as much as I can while I'm up there because they've they've had a great program for a long time. So I'm glad that you've uh you guys have been you're been working with them. That's cool. That's awesome. Rhode yeah. Island's Rhode Island's got a decent program as well. You know, um there was one thing that sort of like worried me though about um Maine and I think it's a sentiment that might be spreading across the United States. And so one of the things um that they wanted to do up there was add um addiction as a qualifying condition for medical cannabis. And a lot of People don't understand why you would do that. You know, they're like, well, pain is covered, so why do you need to put addiction on there? Well, not every person who's addicted to opiates or other drugs has a condition that qualifies for pain. Like, they could have had a back injury two years ago, and now they're addicted to pain meds, but they don't have any pain, right? Right. (laughs) You know, or you go in there, and you're like, hi, I need medical marijuana, and they ask you questions like, are you addicted to cocaine or meth or, like, opiates? And you're like, yes. And they're like, cool, well, you're not getting a card. Um, because that they treat it just like any other narcotic. So I went up there and I helped um, testify at a hearing they had about it. And it was just funny because the council was like, why do you need to add any more qualifying conditions? We have rec is going to come on board. And so all these addicts will be able to buy whatever they want over the rec market. And you're like, well, one, it's really expensive. And two, it's still, it's sort of prohibited in the fact of, you know, trying to make like inpatient treatment centers and things like that because they're not rec customers. Like they're sick people trying to get off of drugs. Um, yeah. So it really should be in the care of doctors rather than having to like lie to doctors and like do this like in a back alley somewhere. Um, we really don't understand why somebody would say, you know, okay, just make it a pharmaceutical and give it to them. I was just like, cool, you have an opiate epidemic and you'd rather wait 10 years and a hundred million dollars for the uh, pharmaceutical process to go through to save lives. Like, no. Yeah. So, you know, we have a lot of work to do on the legislative levels and the East coast and these other places where we're battling the opiate epidemic and people are not open to the solution. Like we know it, like when we're talking about research, like there's, there's centers across the United States that are already doing this. Um, it's not always documented because people are scared. The DA and these other agencies are going to come down their doors, but people are more open about it right now. Um, yeah. But we're hoping um, to be able to facilitate some things in Maine. We know like a lot of good groups out there. Um, they, they've been helping heroin patients and, um, you know, really doing the real work that needs to be done. And thankfully, there are brave souls out there to do it. <laughs> you know, this work isn't easy. It's not often celebrated um, because you can't scream it off from the rooftops that you've helped this many people, um, you know, but there are people doing amazing work out there. Yeah, and that's that's good. I mean, unfortunately, again, like almost in any industry out there, you're going to have people that are only in it for the you know the the wrong reasons and not the right reasons. So it's 
it's definitely tough to find people who are getting into this industry nowadays for the right reasons. But however, even though the black market of this industry has been around for a very long time, I think that there's already have been a lot of people, good people in it for the right reasons. So I think we have a pretty good head start with what people are wanting to do like yourself. I mean, you're really you're doing a lot of stuff and you're in your assign you're a scientist and you're doing studies so you're contributing to being able to give people data because i want to see data i want to see numbers i want to see percentages even though half of them apparently don't even understand what a percentage is um <laughs> you know it, and and that's what uh, you know quickly back to my why i created hashtag um cannabis is medicine testimonies is because of the fact that i am giving a live platform for somebody to come on and say yes i suffer from charcot marie tooth disorder and most people don't know what that is they think it's decaying teeth or something mm-hmm. i'm like and, then, and i thought i was you know i made a joke i'm like yep that's a you know and then i made another joke that you know this is not country music television but yeah no i had somebody over with uh, cmt and bernadette um it, you know she tells her tells her story as to all the medications she was on and all the medications that she was able to get off of uh, once she started using cannabis and then even getting off of more using cannabis concentrates. And it seems like the concentrates are really helping people. Some, you know, some people get off of more medications just because of, I guess, more of the concentrated uh, form. And I think what we really need to really honestly worry about in, in, in this day and age of the cannabis industry is the fact of what is being put into the soil how's it being grown what's being sprayed on it what's being used is it legal do you have a license to use that pesticide insecticide is it safe for people to consume because when you take that flower and you give it to a patient that already has a compromised immune system and it tests high for a larger parts per million and they smoke it and get a lung infection and then they die well now you're going to have somebody who died because they got a lung infection not because of the cannabis but because of the chemicals that were in the cannabis you know so I think there needs to be stronger regulations of of testing and what people can and can't use on their plants because again people if we're taking things and turning it into a concentrate what are you doing you're concentrating those chemicals you're concentrating those high you know those heavy metals that might be still that uh, that's in the soil and stuff like that so well, I want to add um, there that we've had a lot of these issues in Colorado, right? Because we had some of the strictest regulations on testing. And I actually talked to um, a lot of the testing industry leaders here. Um, so some of the issues we've had is that we've had people that are actually doing organic farming. Like, we know this. Like, they're not bullshitting us. Like, they are doing it. And what happens is, is that um, the herbs and these other things that they're using to do it organically actually have... <laughs> pesticides on them so it's just like exactly um, it's it's a it's a really hard issue here and so we're gonna have to figure out ways that we can um basically remediate um so and remove like chemically some of these pesticides and things like that that are like we can't help it like literally the earth is so polluted like there's almost nowhere that you can grow stuff right now except like you have a tomato plant inside your own home and like you you have your own water source mm-hmm. and like it's, we'll have it in, in pennsylvania we just yeah. we planted hemp you know, and the first hemp fields went up in, 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 in 80 years just two months ago, and the plants are already above like 13, 15 feet high. Yeah. And uh, that's another thing that people don't get about hemp. You can plant just straight up hemp, and it will clean the toxins. It will take out the toxins of that soil. 
Yeah, and that's amazing. Like, I see so much value in that, like, above and beyond um, what we're seeing with cannabis. But, like, that's also a very high concern. Like, people don't realize, like, they're planting outdoor hemp in fields that are, like, polluted. And then they were, like, turning that into medicine. And you're like, do you know what's in that medicine? Like, no, throw that away. Like, that's like when you first run water through the Brita filter and you get a whole bunch of crap charcoal and stuff. You're like, do you want to drink that? No. Like, yeah, no. Fix the soil and keep on planting that until you know, like, the soil is clean. But, like, that's why I'm a big advocate for if you're going to make CBD oils and things like that. Grow in a greenhouse at least because you don't want like the outside rain and pollution and all this other junk getting on it um, because you can't control for those factors. And when you're dealing with children with epilepsy, you're dealing with cancer patients, you're dealing with autoimmune disorders, like even a small amount like matters because they're taking high dosages. They're taking it every single day and the smallest thing could impact them. Yeah. I myself. You know, I was literally on death's door. Like, I had a 30% chance of living. And so when I was taking cannabis oil that was making me vomit, like, I could have died. Um, so, and it, like, it turned out that I would take products from certain dispensaries, which I won't name because some of them have uh, fixed some of their issues. Um, you know, and some of these issues were the fact that they didn't have test good valid testing labs that could make sure that when they said that there was no pesticides, there was no pesticides or things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you're only as good as your testing, but... As a patient, I had lung problems. I had blood clots and things like that. I needed the cleanest possible medicine or else I had an asthma attack. Like, I had real issues. Like, I can almost be like a canary, you know, in a coal mine. Like, I know when it's when medicine is not good. And I still, to this day, know. Um, so it's it's sort of interesting. So it's like, I know what, what is good for patients. Like, if it works for me, it works for you. But, like, there's certain brands and certain things that I'm like, I'm not public about, but I'm like, those are not things I would recommend for my patients. Um, and you have to be like, unfortunately in this industry, you don't want to create bad PR for groups and things like that. Um, so we try not to be public about that, but you know, there are certain, certain things that I won't work with and, you know, um, hopefully the, the market will decide and sort of move people in the right direction where the companies that aren't producing safe medicine or don't care really about what's in there will eventually just be knocked out, you know, whether it's due to regulations, whether it's due to just pay, you know, consumers being like, I don't like this medicine, it makes me feel like nauseous or it gives me a headache or whatever. Um, and then they'll just go away. Um, hopefully no strong arm has to come in and wrestle them out of uh, the market. But I do think that the groups that are making amazing medicine and providing amazing above and beyond uh, customer service release, taking the time to understand, educate their bud tenders educate their leadership on what this medicine can do and really walking people through this process of like, Hey, I'm a new patient and this is what I can use this for. Um, those are going to be the ones that win. So the people that are in there just to be like, you know, let's make 8 billion tons of cannabis are are not going to be the winners at the end of the day. Nope. And you know, the, the fact of the matter is we all have to work together as a team. So the more good people and like-minded individuals and people like yourself, Michelle, to get, into a group and and really push forward and charge on and, and create ideas and create even you know companies and media and just just more and more data to give people and that's exactly the 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 most important thing that I think a lot of people are are just now focusing on is the data so that's good that we have a lot of people uh, getting out there into this industry that are focused on the data to, to help get that out there so to be like look yes these are the benefits. And the sharing too, yeah, because we can all collect our own data, but exactly. if we're not sharing and we're not using it to promote humankind, we're using it to pat a squad and things like that, we're still not going to get ahead. 
Exactly. And ex- and that can further other studies. You know, the NFL is going to be doing a study soon to, to see if their players can be allowed to use cannabis rather than, than you know, uh, any sort of opiates or, or anything else yeah, for pain. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's great, you know. So, you know, if you have more companies out there that can actually provide them with something, you know, some sort of data, uh, then, you know, that would help them along the way and it would, could, you know, either ease the, ease the study uh, speed it up a little bit, or in, and even obviously, perhaps even give them gain more accuracy because these are again people who have no idea about cannabis. Maybe they do. You know, there's just a lot of people in the closet still that, you know, we found out that were uh, politicians. Let's just say that were nope, nope, you know, yeah, cannabis is bad. And then all of a sudden they get pulled over and they were found. They had you know a bag of weed on them. And they're like, mm, that's kind of strange. I know one of those guys actually. You um, know, it's funny he. Uh, to his credit, um, you know, after that scenario, then went on to legalize New York. So, well, right, exactly. It's like, oh, well, I guess I have to do it. The cat's out of the cat's out of the bag. No, right. the bud's out of the bag. I guess, right? <laughs> but I guess, um, lastly, could you could you actually just um, try to get into what I guess you're studying about uh, what endocannabinoid deficiency is? Is that sort of similar to vitamin deficiency? Yeah, so um, the concept of endocannabinoid deficiency wasn't created by us. Um, Dr. Ethan Russo, um, who actually worked with GW Pharma for quite a while, um, uh, created it. And it's the idea that we have um, normal levels of endocannabinoids, just like we have normal levels of um, vitamin D, of serotonin, of dopamine. And um, uh, really, it helped us um, be able to sort of explain um, what endocannabinoid deficiency is by making this term like vitamin weed, right? And so it's like vitamin B12, vitamin D, vitamin weed. Well, clearly there's no vitamin weed, but um, it was really hard for people to say anandamide. It's really hard for people to understand, well, my body is no longer making enough anandamide, so I need to have something to replace it just, you know, for optimal brain and, and immune function and, and so many other things. And so... Um, Really, um, uh, CBD is sort of like what we consider vitamin weed because it's something that people can take and it boosts their anandamide levels. And mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of ways that you can get endocannabinoid deficiency, right? Um, you could have genetic mutations, right? You don't make enough receptors or you don't make enough of your endocannabinoids. Um, you could be stressed out. A lot of times um, when you have chronic stress, um, your endocannabinoid system is completely um, you know, dysregulated. And so stress and um, the endocannabinoid system, um, you know, work hand in hand. And we see this in uh, post-traumatic stress disorder where um, people's endocannabinoid system isn't working anymore. So they can't forget, like you need a healthy endocannabinoid system to forget things. And forgetting things is key to almost every mental health issue. You're anxious. You can't stop thinking about the things that happened, the things that weren't even important. Depression. You keep ruminating on these, you know, negative thoughts that you can't just forget, like let it go, right? But it's like your brain is actually unable to let go. Post-traumatic stress disorder, same thing. You have these nightmares that won't go away. So when you supplement and you elevate your endocannabinoid levels, all of a sudden your brain starts functioning normally. You can forget things. You can, you know, overcome anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, schizophrenia. Like, Basically, because the endocannabinoid system regulates every other neurotransmitter system, your GABA, your glutamate, your dopamine, your serotonin, your epinephrine, um, if your endocannabinoid system is not working, it is like the fine dial, like not working on your radio. Like you can sort of hear the station you want, but like you're not quite there. Um, we want to help people be able to take um, 
phytocannabinoids so that they can boost their endocannabinoid system and be living at their optimal levels. You don't really know what it's like to have healthy endocannabinoid system until you've been supplemented with it. Like people don't realize. I would love to try it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you you have, you know, you use cannabis, so you're you're supplementing your endocannabinoid system every day. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty darn close. I mean, I think it's just me. <laughs> sorry, being lazy here. Uh, but uh, I think it's part of me that's being lazy. But I, sh- I need to go get blood work to see if there are areas that I'm, you know, deficient in because you know, it, it's funny because there are the days that I wake up and I feel like, wow, why do I feel like I'm so energetic today? I don't feel like I got you know a different night's sleep than any other normal night, and you know, it's not like I've changed too much out of my diet or changed too much of what I normally do out of my routine. Why today? Why tomorrow? You know, and then the next day I don't really feel like working out whatsoever. I'm just like, blah, you know, it's like, huh, I wonder, I always wonder what it is, but then I just, you know, forget about it and and just move on. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's the thing is like, it's general averages. It's almost like, you know, when you measure your body weight and it fluctuates all day, like where you're like, what did I do differently that I weighed two more pounds today? And like the next day goes back to normal. I don't think that, say, testing your endocannabinoid levels all the time is going to give you a lot of information. I think it's really helpful, though, for disease states. Like, there's several diseases now, um, fibromyalgia, migraine, um, endometriosis, that are associated with endocannabinoid deficiency and dysfunction. Um, So, again, sometimes it's those blood levels. Like, there are certain disorders where you actually have too much anandamide, and it's not – the disorder isn't that you have too much anandamide. The disorder is all your receptors went away. So your body tried to compensate – by increasing anandamide levels. So like at face value, you'd be like, wow, I'm doing really good. I have so much anandamide. Like I'm definitely not deficient. I'm doing amazing. It's like, you don't want to necessarily blow out your system. You're always looking to be in like the normal range too good. Too much can be a symptom of like something else being wrong and too little can be a symptom of something going wrong. So we would just want to be bring people to the normal range. Um, and that range can be different. Like women, um, have different endocannabinoid levels depending on where they are in their, their moon cycle. Um, you know, pregnancy, there's different normal levels. Um, so as we, as we age, we also have, um, different levels, um, because our cannabinoid receptors stop being made. Um, and that's why we get brain diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's most likely, um, in old age. So like, there's a whole bunch of different factors that factor into what our levels are like. But if we, um, you know, we go to countries where people are eating like more hemp and more, you know, um, more phytocannabinoids, um, you you might see a lot, uh, lower level of uh, basal like endocannabinoid deficiency, but like if you test the average American that's not consuming any type of cannabis or CBD product, that's eating McDonald's, that's not exercising, you know, and is stressed out, not sleeping right, like they're probably going to have rock bottom values. I mean, it would be my guess. Um, we haven't been able to do a study like that, but stress alone is is one of the the key components for having really like really low uh, anandamide levels. Mm. So, um, you know, um, I don't think that like maybe our goal is to be able to say, Hey, let's make this blood test and everyone, you know, in the United States, like let's tell your doctor, go pull that off. Um, but we do live in this, in this day and age where people are interested in like biohacking and things like that. So for people that do want to like reach your optimal levels, that might be something that, you know, maybe we, we can test and monitor in the future. Um, but I think the basic thing is just that basic concept of understanding that just like any other uh, vitamin level or neurotransmitter level in your body, the endocannabinoid system is another thing that can can be impacted by what you eat, how you sleep, your lifestyle, the other drugs you're on. So 
it's just like one of those other things where you have to make sure like, am I healthy? You know, okay, look, this, this one is this metric is running on empty. What can I do to help it? Hmm, maybe I need to take more CBD. Maybe I need to do this. Maybe I need to consume cannabis because I'm so on empty. Like there's no way that CBD alone is going to do this. Yeah. Like we're just back to, to normal. Um, and so, you know, that's where we're at, where if we can just help, you know, um, the world understand that the endocannabinoid system is something that, that can be deficient and can be restored, um, for optimal health, then we have won. No, that's that. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's amazing. Um, and I, and I, and I hope that that's something that you're going to be able to keep doing further down the road and people are going to not be afraid of any other administrations and be like, well, I'm not, I'm going to pull out of this study that you're going to want to do. I'm going to take my funding out. And I hope that the, the future, I mean, I think the future is very bright for the things that you're doing. And, and it's good that people, again, like you are out there doing this for the right reasons because, it's 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 a necessity in this day and age. So I, I really appreciate what you're doing, and I'm glad that you founded and are the CEO of of uh, an incredible business. And I think that you know we're going to see this really take off in the future. And I hope that you know possibly someday that maybe medicate medicate me uh, and and uh, impact network can collide worlds and and see how we can uh, help one another and yeah. to to help to basically help the people and to help the doctors, to help the dispensaries, to help anybody who's involved in, in this as a medicine to help understand it and to help, you know, the things that it can and can't do for them. Yeah. And if I could add, uh, just as a, a leaving note here, um, we're, we are a business, but we are actually a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, so we can take donations and that helps support the research that we do. So if you are a listener and you are interested in, um, supporting our efforts um, and learning a little bit more about cannabis, you can go to uh, impactcannabis.org and um, on the top on you, it has a donate button. So thank everyone for listening and thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you for, for taking the time out of your busy day. And uh, I'm, I'm sure it's pretty, pretty darn hectic. And um, can people, can people can find you on, uh, are you on, you're on Instagram, correct? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter um, at Dr. Michelle Ross, um, and that's Michelle with one L too. So a lot of times people are like, "I can't find you." I'm like, uh, D R M I C H E L E R O S. Drop the L. <laughs> you know, I'm from Jersey. You know, we spell things a little differently there. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, and uh, you definitely dropped. Uh, a lot of knowledge on everyone today and uh, I'm sure that all of our listeners are going to really enjoy this and thank you again and please stay in touch um, because I'm sure like I said we'll be we'll be uh, talking again in the future absolutely thank you so much Justin all right thanks a lot have a great night okay you too bye-bye bye